0: Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the A.V. Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 50th episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks.
1: We made it, Dave. For the
0: celebration, post-4th of July, I even brought this firework along that'll make some sparklers. Ah,
1: Dave it was rainy and it's wet and stupid firework well there goes that idea okay good i i think that was maybe it's maybe better that things went this way this is rick and nick talk flicks i'm dave brooks and i'm joel hoover welcome to the 50th episode of rick and nick talk flicks and if you've been with us for all 50 if you've been crazy enough to hang around for that long we thank you And we welcome you. it what's wrong with you? Yeah, and what's wrong with you? Maybe there's that too. But no, what's wrong with them is that they love movies that much that they want to enjoy this podcast and take them all in. But not everybody loves everything, right? Well, that's very true. And isn't it funny that that comes up on a day where we are talking about movies that we don't like particularly much? Before we get into that, keep going, keep going. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is a great place to go catch all sorts of different movies located on Highway 2, just down from Bemidji Airport here in town. They've got $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. Don't forget, they are in our big deals store as well, and you can find great certificates and savings to be able to go and see movies at the Bemidji Theater, again, located on Highway 2 here in town. You know, this is one of those
0: rare moments, I think with one exception now, that every movie on screen at the Bemidji Theater, as the day we're recording this on July 8th, is a good movie, save for X-Men Dark Phoenix. And I I, I think maybe we should take a quick detour here, speaking about things that aren't good, and talk about this post-mortem X-Men. This is the end of the X-Men before Disney takes over. So it's, in a lot of ways, the last official release by 20th Century Fox pre-Disney acquisition and uh for a sh- for a series between the Patrick Stewart cast and the James McAvoy
1: cast what a th- thud of an ending after it started so well yeah back in the day dave when you go back to let's go back to X-Men first class which was in in essence a reboot Sort of. But it was but it was kind of not a reboot at the same time. They were going back to the beginning with a lot of those characters, going going back to the nineteen sixties. And that movie did it was fantastic. Did really good business and it was critically acclaimed for how great of a job they did redoing the X-Men vibe and creating this really clever story, great engaging characters and actors and people who really this was jennifer lawrence pre-jennifer lawrence before she really became huge who's this days of future past was an incredible crossover event where they took the x-men of the past and and took them along with the x-men of the present and with days of future past and created a really great time-traveling kind of adventure and and time-crossover kind of story. And that kind of put... retconned some of the problems from, namely, Last Stand, X-Men 3. Right. And created a way for Wolverine to be able to cross over between the two, putting Hugh Jackman in a really prominent role, more so than in First Class where he makes one very notable cameo. <laughs> but then things took a turn after that. X-Men Apocalypse, not really a great movie. It was, it was just okay. And now Dark Phoenix, which has done poor business and has been poorly reviewed as well. And it's just, it it has ended things with a thud with a series that had gotten a great bit of revival after X Men The Last Stand had ended the original trilogy in a very flat way.
0: You know, it seems that the second one of both X Men incarnations, X2, came out in, what, 01, 02? Um, That was a fantastic movie. That was Wrath of Khan right there. That was awesome. And then you get the new cast, the, the first class cast, and they do the second one, Days of Futures Past, and wow, was that amazing! And then there's the drop off, and not just a drop off. There's new numbers that are coming out now that I don't have in front of me, but what is considered the biggest ex, what is considered the biggest disappointment of a superhero film. Was Fantastic Four? It was expected to do great things and really underperformed. Now there's bad superhero movies that just bombed and everyone expected to bomb. Oh, but Fantastic
1: Four has gone, gone down in history for that,
0: but it may have just been eclipsed by X Men: Dark Phoenix. Wow, which is still in theater, so the role isn't done yet, but it is wrapping up very quickly. Its theatrical run and it is disappointment would be an understatement. I mean. If you know the price is right, there. Oh, yeah. I mean that's what this movie is. It's
1: wet, soggy cereal. It is, yeah, and it's it's too bad that that's the case. I was really hopeful. I was hopeful that they were going to to finish on a high because it did start so well, and and there were reasons for to find this compelling. But it just has fizzled out. I, I don't know how much the the twentieth century fox disney changeover has impacted this, how much did it impact production, how much did it impact some of the planning, but it just, it, it's just such a flat ending, and there are many out there who are big X-Men fans, you know, they, they've they got their own portion, and they've been around longer than most when it comes to watching superheroes on the big screen, because the X-Men have been around longer than most on the big screen. When it comes to to superhero movies, at least in the modern sense, yeah. So it, it's a disappointing ending because yeah, they were yeah. the originators.
0: Yeah, it. You know, this is one of those movies that, as it comes in, oh, I want to see this movie, and then you realize that there's a lot of people that aren't seeing it. And about a month uh, before the release, early tracking figures were way, way down. And this is one that you know. I don't know if you could say 20th Century Fox or Disney is looking at as a tentpole. Marketing for it was next to nothing. You could almost tell that they could tell way out that this is not going to be a good ending. There was a lot of reshoots and behind-the-scenes problems. The interesting thing, though, was the entire cast was signed up for three movies. This was the fourth, by the way. So they all signed, most of them, I think pretty much all of them, signed up for, let's do a fourth one. What well, couldn't have been because of the script. It had to have been because we really like working together, let's do it again but let's make a horrible movie. You know, I... Yeah. Don't know what... Ha- I really don't know what happened here. And I haven't seen it because everyone's saying, just don't. Just just don't. Don't spend money on it. Wait till you see it somewhere free.
1: Well, it's too bad because one thing that I liked in particular was the dynamic between James McAvoy's uh, Professor X and Michael Fassbender's yeah. Magneto. I thought their dynamic... It, it built upon, and I think it added more layers to that that was established by Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in the original movies I think they provided at least in the early movies they provided as much maybe even more depth to that relationship than what those two had previously established in the former X-Men movies I thought the two of them had a great dynamic that that they had between them and that was a great thing to build the story around. And that's, I think, a big reason why First Class succeeded as much as it did, was the dynamic of these two friends-turned-enemies turned friends-turned-enemies turned friends turned and seeing it in a very nuanced way. Yeah, an, easy, an uneasy reliance uh, on one another and alliance. Uh, you
0: know, it, It's really unfortunate. That's kind of the, the quick detour we'll take yeah. here in current events. X-Men Dark Phoenix, which is the fourth one of the First Class cast, which would be the seventh overall. Yeah. So, it's too bad they will come back around but there will be a reboot you're gonna see a whole new cast and the talk is that they're going to be worked into the MCU down the road um we'll see how things go but you know okay. this, we've talked about the downfall of comic book movies and at some point it will happen it's it's you know so they, they will go out of fashion could this be the first shot across the bow the MCU phase 3 is done now that spider-man far from home which got great reviews by the way. But that's a story of a different and better done comic book series. When the Phase 4 Marvel comes around, we'll see what happens. But could the X-Men be the first shot? Just asking a question.
1: Yeah, Dave, we've alluded to it enough here in this, in this episode so far. Today we're talking about movies that we don't like. However, we're getting more specific with mm. this. We're talking about movies that don't appeal to us. ...that have appealed to a wide audience, and that can be by popularity, that can be by cult status, that can be by box office status, it, it doesn't really matter. Movies that, that have appealed to a lot of people that we don't particularly like. It's going to get a little negative, it may be a pretty controversial episode today, There, <laughs> it may get very controversial... And, and maybe you are thinking as you're listening to this, that's heresy. That's crazy. Hey,
0: think of it this way. Here's a great title for the episode. Movies
1: that everyone loves, but I hate. That's right. If you were to put special emphasis on it, if you were standing on stage, that is how you would be delivering that soliloquy. It's, yep. like,
0: it's like going to Comic-Con. And you hate Star Wars, and you're brave enough to say it out loud, and you get a whole uh, room at once do a double take. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, watch, watch the sparks fly now. But you know, yep. Sometimes it's a taste thing. Sometimes it's a palate thing. I, you know, there's some things that a lot of people like that I don't like. I don't like tomatoes. I like things made by tomatoes, but I don't like tomatoes. Uh you know, this there is that. I don't like basketball. I don't hate it, but it just it doesn't do anything for me. Right. You know, I know you're in your soccer gear. Soccer I think is fine. There's moments where it's fine, but it doesn't grab me. It just it just doesn't. I don't know why, it just doesn't. Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. But it doesn't. You know, I don't hate it. You know, but it's it's one of those things. So there why not in a movie genre or in an entertainment
1: genre? And I'm glad you point that out because there can be degrees of dislike. I mean, you don't have to out and out hate a movie. However, you you might not really like it or you may go, I don't get it. What's what's the point of this? I, I don't really it just it just doesn't jive with you. That can also be part of this as well. It's not just outright hate of that was an awful movie. It can also be I don't get what the broad appeal of this movie is.
0: Think of this mental visual image. This will sum up what this episode is all about. You got all your friends over for movie night. Everyone's on the couch and everyone on the floor and they're all watching the show and you got 20 people in the room and the movie's over, the credits are rolling, and every face there is like, oh, yeah, oh, that was yeah. And then there's the one face that's just kind of uh, almost a face that smells the fart before everybody else. You yep. just, uh, the one face. This is the movie, this is the episode where we are the one face. Maybe trying to understand the why. And in some cases I can tell you why.
1: In others I, I don't know. And with and like with other episodes of this nature, maybe this gets you thinking about hey, you know, I can I can think of another movie that, that works for me in that way. So Dave, kick us off. What is one movie that, that comes to mind when it comes to something that fits this bill?
0: Well, the mental image I just gave you is one that holds true to this specific movie. was that you got to come over, you got to watch this movie. It's really, really good. We've got it on DVD. you got to come over and watch it. Okay. I heard good things. I'm here. Sat down and watched Napoleon Dynamite.
1: Oh, boy.
0: And uh, no, 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 no. Now, let me explain something. I am a big fan of dumb comedies, whether it's Naked Gun or Airplane or even some that are really dumb. There's one from the 90s called Fatal Instinct. It's kind of a spoof off of Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. And it's really stupid, but it's really fun. And my biggest, I think I've said it before, my favorite guilty pleasure movie is from the 80s called Real Men. It's really dumb. I would never recommend it to anybody to watch, but I kind of get a kick out of it. This is one that really a lot of people got behind, and it got into pulp culture with vote for Pedro and, and, you know, hey man, I'm a cage fighter. I just didn't. This movie did not grab me. It just did not. And everyone around me is loving it. I'm like, am I on a slippery slide here? How come I get no traction on this? And everyone
1: around me is zipping down the, I love this movie route, and I ain't going anywhere. I have a quick question along those lines. Was the everyone around you people the same age as you?
0: Really? Roughly all within five years, every one of them. And we have similar movie tastes on things, and for whatever reason... I just I wasn't getting it. I just wasn't liking it. I wasn't I thought, you know, and I'm I gotta look this up for me. I'm not looking at my computer. Who's the guy that is Napoleon Dynamite that kind of wrote it and he didn't direct it, I don't think, but he was way behind the John scene. Hyder. John Hyder. So you didn't even have to look it up. You knew. Yeah. You're you're in that group of people that thought that was a great movie. What else of note has he done? Didn't he show up in some other... Blades of Glory. Yeah, he showed up in that movie. That was it. What has he done ever since? Nothing. This is his launching point. This is his platform. And pfft, pfft, it kind of makes me think that maybe after the fact, on a subconscious level, people realize, no, one shot and it wasn't much of a shot. I you know, it, and I understand this, too. I'm not putting down people that like the movie. There's movies I like that I guarantee a lot of you listeners won't like. That's Okay. But this was one that really grabbed the mainstream, at least at the year that it came out. Was that around like 06, 07? That was 04. 04, okay. Well, that was close-ish. Ah, not not a good movie. Just the whole tone of it, the whole stupidity around it. Um, You know, most of the characters I thought were just kind of dumb and they were going nowhere in life, but they were people we were going to celebrate and... There's, there's ways to do that and make it effective, The Lovable Losers. This I didn't find it working at all, at all, on any level. It was an hour and a half, felt like three hours, that I wasn't enjoying, and everyone around me was, which almost made me enjoy it less. Uh, what were they getting that I wasn't? I watched it a second time and thought maybe I was just in a mindset that wasn't, I, I don't know, I couldn't figure it out,
1: and realized, no, it really wasn't me. It was the movie, according to me. John Hader, to his credit, is still in some movies and some TV work. I just What's, got a quick look there. Give me a, other than Blades of Glory and Napoleon Dynamite. It's, What's it's he done? Nothing big. It's oh. it's nothing big at all. That so probably tells you something. He's finding things here and there. The I think the appeal, part of the appeal of that movie, speaking as somebody who finds it very amusing, and but I'm younger than you, and and I was I was in middle school at the time, like or around middle school at the time, and. People who watched it at that time just found it offbeat, and that's part of what made it funny was the offbeat nature of it, and the fact that it just it, it was made on such a low budget. It was just there were I mean there were a few things in there that were that were a little eh, but it wasn't exact. It wasn't crude. It was just amusing, slapstick, and and just extremely offbeat, and and for a pretty wide range appeal of people who could like it. Like kids could watch that movie. I mean, adults could watch that movie. I think there was some appeal there to that offbeat kind of nature that they tried to make it with, but you do watch it. I, I remember, I th- I think it was my dad who watched it the first time and he's like, this is dumb. And then he watched it the second time and he's cracking up because my siblings and I are cracking up when we're watching this. So it's one of those movies that absolutely is extremely polarizing, and I'm not surprised that you brought that up. Because I it's a polarizing movie. But it that's that's where you run that risk, I suppose, when, when you make that movie. Those brothers who put that movie together, it's like, you know what, this is a low budget movie, but hey, there will be people who will like this, there will be people who will hate this. But it worked for the people who like it. Like when I'm talking when I'm joking with my th- friends about throwing a football over the mountains. Yeah, it's, it, that's something that has landed in the lexicon of, of what we talk about.
0: You know, I, I can appreciate Offbeat. There's something I like. There was, I think Juno came out about the same time, and that's definitely yes. Offbeat. It's got, whether you're a fan of... 07 for oh, oh, oh 07. So whether you're a fan of Diablo Cody, who had, you know, she can definitely write the characters and come up with some snappy dialogue, and she's had some success after that, won an Oscar for it, but a lot of folks kind of weren't on board with that. That's kind of the same idea. It's offbeat, most definitely, but I could definitely see the appeal. I'm having a harder time seeing the appeal with Juno, with not Juno, but uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I love offbeat. I love slapstick. I love stuff that kind of marches to its own beat. But maybe this beat was in such a time rhythm that I just could not skip along to it. Right. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Maybe it is. That's fine. Yeah. Couldn't, could not make it happen.
1: I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who would agree with you on that. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So that's, this one that, you know, definitely got really popular that I couldn't wait for that wave to crest and go away and wash out the dead fish with it. It was, it was, it was
1: no. I'm going to start on the front foot here and go big. Go up against uh, like a, a massive one, not only in box office but in upcoming movies, and that's Avatar. Okay. I do not like Avatar. Okay, I don't like it. I did not understand the appeal around it when I saw it. Like I, you know, to watch that movie, it's it the the graphics are phenomenal. They they did such an incredible job putting together that whole world of that movie visually. It's, it's pretty amazing, and who knows what the upcoming movies will will be able to do with advancements in computer technology since that that movie came out. But I don't understand the the mass appeal for the movie. I, I don't really get that. And part of it, too, that I think influences it is the fact that James Cameron is planning on making, what, four more movies based Something around like,
0: this? Some, but also, think about this. Not counting for inflation... Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time ever. Avengers Endgame
1: thought they might eclipse it, did not happen, at least not to this day. They did, Avengers did so, what was it, globally or domestically, but Avatar still holds one of those crowns.
0: Yeah, it's still uh, the, the highest grossing movie, period, ever. Not accounting for inflation. Yep. Um, And that came out in 2010, right?
1: 20 uh 2009.
0: Oh late yeah Christmas 2009 so it was it kind of crossed over was still yep. doing big business in
1: 2010. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah, I understand. I don't really get the appeal over it though. I I mean enough that that many people went to see it. I did not go see it in theaters when when it came out. It just I I thought some of its themes were were pretty solid but at the same time I thought people made a bigger deal over them than really seemed necessary. Um, I mean, there was, there was a lot of nuance with, with creating the world in which all of that took place, but it just, I don't know. I was like, it it almost feels like a story that we've seen before in some ways. And yet you're, you're putting it to a completely foreign planet and everything. And I, and I was like, you know, some of this is really cool. I don't get what the, what the mind blowing earth changing, kind of nature of this movie is I I don't really get it and I don't get why you've got to go and create four more movies now based around this this feels like a desire to capitalize on the income of that movie and it just did not appeal to me really at all
0: you know it's interesting you know as as successful as the movie is and you can make the argument with a lot of evidence that it's the most successful movie ever it's the highest grossing movie of all time ever Uh, not including adjustment for inflation. Again, we'll say that one more time. I think Gone with the Wind, if you account for inflation, is the highest grossing movie and will probably never be beaten. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, Is it Universal Studios that did Avatar Land? They made Pandora. It's not Disney. They're doing the Star Wars one, but I think they are building Pandora. Probably to coincide with the release of Avatars 2 and beyond. Um, and the fact that James Cameron has given interviews where he could be involved in other projects. He said, nope, I'm involved in making Avatar movies now. This is the guy that brought about Terminator, Aliens, um, Titanic. I mean, Cameron's got a great body of work, and now he's pretty much in the Avatar business.
1: Well, based on those other series, it could also be claimed that he's good at bringing about work. He's not very good at finishing that work when it comes to some of those series where they are very open-ended as far as what's the conclusion to this? What is this all building toward? Well,
0: some of those, though, like Terminator, Terminator 2, he did those, and then he kind of, it could have been a very appropriate ending at the end of Terminator 2, but if people want to see a sequel, and it took, what was it, 12 years? Something like that, between T2 and T3. So he'd kind of come up with an ending, and he was done, and they said, well, we're going to make more. I said, well, good luck. He made Aliens, a sequel to a movie he had nothing to do with, and I would say it's a better movie than the original. It's one of my all-time favorite, Aliens. And he came up with a great ending. Well, we got to have a sequel. Well, I don't want to do it. So, you
1: know, it's not that he kind of left it unhanging. He came up with a great ending. I don't know why he's so big on Avatar, though, of of making so many or investing so much of his time yeah, into it. Yeah,
0: you know, but he kind of gets wrapped up into whatever he does. He did Titanic, and then he kind of stuck around Titanic. He did that documentary of uh, uh, Ghosts of the Abyss, which is about Titanic, Uh, And he did a lot of diving expeditions because he's not just a filmmaker. He invented and came up with patents for the ways to do those deep dive submersibles so that you could get literally into Titanic. You got shots of the actual ship, shipwreck I should say, that had never been seen before. He designed that. So you don't just decide, I'm going to make a movie, we'll design a camera for it. I mean, he poured years Into this. And still does things like this. A lot of the motion capture technology, we've seen it before. You know, Jar Jar Binks, for example, is not necessarily motion controlled. He was an actual guy in a suit, but they did the head CGI. You know, so it's something a little different, not quite the same. But you look at Gollum, Lord of the Rings, that's complete motion capture, and Andy Syracuse has basically made a career out of that. Right. And then you had uh, Cameron do Avatar, where it's all these actors, cameras on them, And they have a rough render in real time, so you can shoot the scene and then go back and watch it. And you're not watching Zoe Saldana with a thing on her head. You're watching her character already roughly rendered. That's new technology, and it was exceptionally believable. You know the visuals, notwithstanding the themes, notwithstanding, um, which is interesting because Cameron has gone back to that theme a couple times with Vietnam. You've got an un- you've got a technologically superior versus a technologically inferior species, and the inferior beat the superior. And aliens is like that, which he has said is an allegory to the Vietnam War, and, and Avatar definitely goes that route also. 3D was shown, and I would say the one example I'd ever seen that three D really worked the way I think it's meant to work, not as a gimmick, but as something that's immersive. It pulls you into the show. And that was something that, you know, that was you had to see it on screen for that to happen. On a home video, it doesn't doesn't carry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of how I felt when I watched Gravity on yeah. screen. It was it was like a you see this in theater kind of thing but Avatar just didn't jive with me. Just didn't and the fact that there are more coming makes me scratch my head. It makes but you wonder too. This, about the money.
0: Yeah, you're, you're also not flipping channels and landing on FX and they're showing Avatar tonight. You know, I've seen a lot of movies that show up on TV or cable or whatever but I'm not seeing much for Avatar so I don't know why that is uh, and you hope that there will be some sort of a response to it because with 2 and 3 and 4 they're already made. It's not like or they're making them it's not like they're going to well we were gonna do two and three but two didn't do well so we won't make three they're already like shot it's been almost 10 years
1: now yeah so
0: well say nothing about the gap in timing but well we won't stay on Avatar too long because it's a that's not what the show's about but uh it's an interesting one that you went for
1: next one for you Dave
0: you did swing for the fences there didn't you
1: yeah I just you wait I've got more coming
0: I'll bet so rather than just picking out on movies, because I'm, I'm a movie fan, which means I see more that I like than I don't like, and generally I don't necessarily disagree with the masses. I may disagree on awards and stuff, but I'll switch gears a little bit and I'll come up with a genre, like a subgenre. I love me some scary movies, definitely, and even right now in the midst of summer when we're recording this, for some reason I'm on a Halloween kick and I'm watching the Halloween movies right now. And the the 20- you don't
1: need much of anything to inspire you to go watch the Halloween movies.
0: October at my house is October first to the thirty first is scary horror movie everything, but there's a subgenre to that that I like and some that I don't like. I have no problem with slasher movies; those are fun. You know, they're they're meant to be stupid, but they're fun and enjoyable. But then, right around the 2000s, we had a whole new subgenre come up that, you know, still we can't even agree on the name of it. Gore porn has come to mind, splatter porn, torture yeah. porn. It's got a, it's, for some reason, porn just gets stuck in there, but that's what they call it. So we're talking hostile, we're talking saw. Um, no, no. I, those, that kind of, I will say this I'll give credit where credit is due. I thought saw was a very interesting story. But the way that they were showing it was just, it wasn't scary. It was just grotesque. It's how much can you handle, hostile in particular. Have you ever seen any of these movies at all?
1: I have not seen any of these, and that is part of why I haven't seen them. A big part of why, because that genre does not appeal to me in the least. Yeah. So what makes,
0: you got to think about this though, and this, I can tell you exactly why I don't like splatter porn. We'll call it gore porn or whatever we're going to call it, because I don't think there's a universally accepted genre name for this. And there's a reason I think it died out. I think it was a flash in the pan. Eli Roth made his name on it, and now he's doing some other things. But it's um, it's come, it's done its thing, and it's gone, and I don't know if it'll come back. Hitchcock, and I'm going to improvise the or uh, paraphrase what he says, Hitchcock said, there's no fear in the gun going off. It's the anticipation of the bang. That's where the thrill is. That's yep. where the magic is. I'm improvising that or uh, paraphrasing the line. But torture porn is not about that. You know, a good horror movie is investing in characters that you like and maybe some that you don't like that you can't wait to see something bad happen to. And slasher movies are, you know, kind of fun, but they are really thin on character development. You know, we're going to throw a bunch of typecast people together and then here we go and they're going to see which, you know, you know which one is probably going to live through the movie. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Repeat. Torture porn isn't even like that. You meet people that are getting tortured in these movies that you don't even know who they are. So you're not rooting for their safe outcoming. It's more about, all right, guys, how long can you hang on to this scene? Oh, my God. Here's a picture of a guy. I'll give you an example. In one of the movies, I can't even tell you which one it was. Here's a guy hanging from his ankles or his wrists in a like a jail cell. And there's a device hooked up to his ankles, and they're going to slowly twist him and twist him, not till it hurts, but until his ankles go all the way around 360. And you're going to hear every snap and look at his face and anguish. That to me is an uh, is an exercise in I don't know how to describe it. You know how much can you take? Endurance. There you go. It's not it's not fearful at all. It's just gross and it's just it's it's faces of death for the 21st century and it's not really enjoyable. But I will say this. The first Saw movie in particular minus that stuff was an exceptionally well-done movie. It was genuinely well thought out script-wise. It was very inventive, it was very genius. Even where the grotesque things came in, it kind of worked for the plot, so you can give it some credit and but it worked. After that, not so much. You know, there was a lot of credit going to the first one, and not after that. And Hostel, in particular, was just disgust for the sake of disgust. And I could see plenty of stuff, but when you find yourself looking into the palm of your hands and just not enjoying what you spent your money on, that's when you know that it's time to back out. And I think the whole genre understood that, and it's gone away.
1: Yeah, it, it took having a multitude of sequels, especially for for Saw. I think for that genre to finally start to 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 finally start to drift away and fade out because I I never did get the appeal around that it's like this isn't horror this is uh, this is just grotesque it's it, it's yeah it's so it's almost too graphic and I thought the Hitchcock quote that you brought up was great because that's where that's where true horror and thriller movies have have their best appeal is not necessarily in visually in visually grabbing you and and making you recoil away. It's the, the fear, the chilling factor. The, you know that from horror movies, that the best horror movies are the ones that create a chill up your spine, musically, visually, and with anticipation. It's not necessarily about... The terror of seeing, and maybe it shouldn't be about the terror of seeing this graphic stuff taking place. That almost feels like it's a bridge too far when it comes to what you are seeing taking place, especially within this genre. It just doesn't... I know there's maybe a bit of a moral question about this when it comes to talking about this, but it just seems like it gets into the realm of... Maybe this is a bit too far. Maybe this is something that that just shouldn't be tapped into quite this much.
0: Well, and I'm not. There are some horror movies that I've seen that have the one scene in it. You know, where you got to kill here and a kill here and a kill here, and then there's this one kill that really goes for it, and he really shows you everything. You're like, oh my goodness, but that's it. It's not an entire movie wall to wall of just solid dull shots. You know, it it loses its delusion. Whether I remember one movie, I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. I think it was an Italian horror movie because those were their own kind of genre. And it's like a spike or something going toward an eyeball. You're like, no, they'll cut, they'll cut. Oh my, oh my, oh that kind of thing. But that's all there was, and the rest of the movie was pretty okay. And but that was the one thing that sticks with you. Yep. There isn't any one thing from those movies that stick with you because it's all over the movie. So let me give you the yang to that ying. Jaws. The shark didn't work, mechanically speaking, behind the scenes were speaking. They were going to show it planned a whole lot more than you actually see it. But they couldn't get the thing to work right, so they just had to get improvising about what they were going to show. So a lot of what happens, you don't see. The opening of that movie, there's no shark. There's no shark. And you see this girl being killed in the surf, but you don't see anything. The way they actually filmed it was she's in a harness, with wires connected to it. and The wires run down the beach, and there's guys on the left and guys on the right that are big and burly. Okay, now we're going to run to the right, and they're dragging her through the water. There was no fin. There was no mechanical shark. There was nothing. You've seen the movie. You know what I'm talking about. So it's your mind that has to come up with the things. Now, let me come up with a solution for hostile. You're going to this hotel, and basically people are paying to torture other people, How about have that stuff off screen? But you have all the indications. It's what you don't see that is the scariest thing because what could it really be? What
1: are they actually doing? Your your mind goes places. But then you get maybe a reveal at some point sure, or or something like Um, that?
0: Imagine the story is about one person locked in a cell that the torturers haven't come to yet. He's gonna to have to find a way to escape. It's an escape movie. Maybe he's having a one-on-one sadistic game with his captor. Oh, you're next. But you can hear what's going on the next in the next cell where the torturers have been to. You hear snaps, and you don't even know what's happening. But it's your mind that goes places. That would be almost more unsettling than actually witnessing ankles do a three sixty. So I don't. I'm not that I'm trying to come up with a solution to make that genre work because I really don't like it, but. It is what it is. So, the whole torture porn subgenre, thankful that it has gone away. I'm hoping there's not a big revitalization. I'm not all that squeamish with gore, but when it gets to the point where it's just way, way over the top, I think we reach that
1: limit and then some. I'll co sign on that. Okay. Yeah. Rick and Nick Talk Flix is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. As today we are discussing movies that we don't necessarily like, that a lot of people do yeah. for one reason or another. All right, I've gone already for one big tent pole movie. I'm going to go for another one now with my second one. When I first watched this movie, I liked it. I thought it was pretty solid. Then I watched it with my brothers, and my brothers are a little bit more critical about some things I than I am know where you're going. Sometimes, and they helped me in this way, their their critical nature really helped me to see this movie in a new light. And that was Star Wars The Force Awakens. I do not like that movie. Okay. I I don't. It is a copycat. They they went back and I, I don't really I, I didn't get when I looked around and saw these people following along like it was the Pied Piper of wow what a movie. Wow what a movie when I was like we've seen this before. We've seen so many elements of this before and there were other things that genuinely bothered me. How does Ray have so much already figured out rather than going through the development of of figuring out her her power within the force why is it that we are that we have this um this first order that has come out of nowhere and seems to have all this power and and is able to do all of these things why do they have a planet that is essentially like the death star that they've been able to somehow fashion together and, and to be able to have another weapon that that can do a lot of incredible things why is it once again that it's another sabotage mission to go after this thing the these characters they all they all seem shoehorned into certain roles that they fill uh, this person is this this person is this that, that we are getting um this rags to riches kind of story we've seen this before with star wars as far as Person comes out of nowhere to to make an impact. And it, it just felt like a repetition of themes and ideas that we had seen before with Star Wars. If you were going to create something new, which I was very, very skeptical about and nervous about anyway from the start, why would you not try to come up with a new concept rather than themes that... Have been so prominent in the past, it, it felt like watching a New Hope all over again, except it was repurposed and re, repackaged in in some new ways. I know you're probably going to have a rebuttal for me, but I, as much as it did some Find things, a happy place. as much Find as a happy listen, place. as much as the Force Awakens did some things really well, I I just did not like how it tried to repackage. Ideas and story themes that we had seen before, all while building it around a, a character in Ray who I, I like Ray a lot and I like uh, Daisy Ridley a lot, but Ray almost felt too complete from the beginning, and even in the in the follow up in the Last Jedi, Ray never really goes through any development Journey. she's got it figured out it seems like from the start and it was more about making her a symbol rather than making her a character of development
0: yeah you know F- F- force awakens i think all the star wars movies are fantastic well i think i've come to a realization about the last jedi but yes that's another thing um but they're they're flawed but they're enjoyably flawed um some less than others some more than others um, so we've talked about Star Wars a lot in this podcast and there's reasons we do, so I won't go too deep into it. But some of what you're saying, I agree. I mean, clearly it was a retread of the Force awakens, but really or of the uh, new hope rather. Um, but generally, let's just come up with a number. there's say 40 types of stories that are out there just to come up with a, a base round number and you do these stories repeat in different ways with different settings and different you know twists on them. but there's really like 40 stories out there that can be told, one of which is the hero's journey. You know, you start from nothing and you make your way up. I mean, that's Rocky's, the same kind of thing. There's a lot of different versions of this. So New Hope did this hero's journey, and now you've got the same kind of thing in The Force Awakens, really. It's Ray's story, but she doesn't follow any growth. She's got this all, even in The Last Jedi. Now, look at Luke. If you're going to compare the two of them, which is, I think, kind of the idea, Luke – Thinks she knows everything, like every teenager does. Goes up against, you know, the bad guy. Turns out to be his dad, and uh, and then he realizes he doesn't know anything. Gets his butt kicked, loses his hand in the process. Comes back from it, fights harder in Return of the Jedi, and finally beats the bad guy. You know, that's the hero's journey. And uh, now we're doing this again with Ray, but Ray knows everything. She beats the bad guy right off the bat. Now maybe he's an unformed bad guy, completely formed. But even then she's she apparently knows more and is stronger than Luke, the Jedi master, who maybe turned himself off in the force, but still had dedicated the better part of his life to learning the arts and maybe the most powerful Jedi and prophesied and all of this. Nope, Ray's better. You know, so you don't you don't have a journey. What are you what are you following for? Now I like Ray but Ray isn't really going on a journey. Ray has already arrived at the journey. Now we're seeing her at the top of the mountain. It's not about the top of the mountain. It's getting to the top of the mountain and we're not seeing that climb. And that's something that you're missed. So, I think you've got some valid points. Um, but you got a you got a dislike for this movie that I I guess don't really understand. But- I
1: I don't hate the movie. I just there's enough that I dislike in the movie that I go you know, I, it it bothers me. And and I don't and I don't necessarily like it. Like I said, I don't hate the movie. I just, I dislike a lot about it. And it's enough that it makes me go, eh, this is a little bit tough to watch back. And it's a little bit tough when it feels like it's retreading some old things. So... Again, it's Star Wars. You know, I I think some of the newer Star Wars movies have gotten a lot right. I think Rogue One is a great movie. I thought Solo was an entertaining popcorn movie. Yeah. But when they've dabbled into the new stuff and tried to come up with a new path, it feels like they've tried to go down old paths, and then in doing so and in trying to fix this or add on to this with the second movie, they got some things right, and they got some things very wrong. Yeah. And it's it's created what we have coming into the third movie now. So. You know, I think as we
0: get a little closer to Christmas time, I think we'll probably do some other Star Wars podcast episode about gearing up for Rise of Skywalker and the fallout from last Jedi and where Star Wars yeah. is. I think that'd be a good episode and we'll get around to that as we get closer.
1: Now, your last one is is one that you kind of brought about in a very mysterious way when you were teasing it to me. So I'm really curious what this will be. I'll just i I'll just
0: go right between the eyes. I don't like Stanley Kubrick.
1: Do not like oh, Stanley wow. Kubrick. I don't like
0: anything by Stanley Kubrick. Now, let's let's be a little more specific you, you here. You
1: don't like anything of his.
0: Let me put it this way. Some of the stories are really good. The story behind The Shining, it's creepy. I like let me put it this way. I like you two thousand one is considered his masterpiece. Sci fi or anything. It is a masterpiece. Nineteen sixty eight, I think that was, sixty nine. I like 2010 better than 2001. Wow. Because it's actually got a story that moves. You know, the problem with Kubrick and this is every movie he's in or and for those of you that don't know Stanley Kubrick was a great writer director and he's done some great movies that you've probably heard of but never seen, Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange, 2001 we already mentioned. His last real big movie was Eyes Wide Shut. Um, he was developing a movie called AI. Uh, didn't finish it. Died. Died in around 2001, I think it was. And then Spielberg picked up AI and continued it to kind of as an honor to Kubrick. It's very much a Kubrick movie with Spielberg overtones. That's kind of the last movie Kubrick made. Um, yeah, I'll give you this. He was very stylistic, but the style for me killed it. For example. Um, it takes 20 minutes in any one of his movies for anything to happen. Anything. So a lot of it is left up to your interpretation as to I, what exactly I have
1: one one point of disagreement that is related to that. I can think of one movie where that's not the case. But, oh, okay, but keep okay,
0: going. Uh, I'll give you an example. So there's so many questions around 2001, for example, and that's the one that is looked at as the masterpiece. So let's just kind of stick with 2001 to enunciate my point here a little bit. Um, so we're really talking about these shapes called the monolith that show up apparently in prehistoric times that have kind of apparently not said explicitly, but is implied very strongly that it was the missing link in and of itself. It helped cavemen and apes become man is basically, it was a step in the evolution and now 2001, which is the future, which didn't really look that much like the actual year 2001 did, but that's another thing. Now there's another mysterious monolith found on the moon. What could that imply? And then later there's another one found floating around Jupiter. What could that imply? So it's implied that we're going to take another step in our evolution. What will that be is kind of what it is. Well, then you get moments where... Long story short, I think the the interesting story behind the malfunctioning ship and the homicidal computer, Hal, uh, is an interesting story. But it is to- it's, a, it's a story that is told – it's probably a 90-minute movie told over two-plus hours. I forget what the runtime is, but it's up there. And just the end scene where Dave Bowman gets pulled into the monolith, essentially. You're not really led explicitly as to what is happening. You kind of have to interpret it for yourself. But he goes through a wormhole, for lack of a better term. And there's all this imagery that takes forever, and you're still not left with a conclusive answer as to what you've just seen. But it takes 30 minutes for you to figure out what what did you, what did you just watch? Yep. Just the last 30 minutes. What? Where was the narrative? Where was the story? Now, right. Im- imagery. It's it's fantastic imagery. The special effects for 2001, which was from the late 60s, still to this day holds up. The way that a lot of that was done practically in camera and other things is testament. And I will give credit where credit is due. But I'm here for a story. I'm here not for an art gallery. Show me something great and dazzling and give me a good story to go with it. He forgot the second part, you know, where you got a good story that's really watered down in a lot of other ways. And sometimes bizarre for the sake of bizarre does not equal uh, entertainment.
1: You know what I agree with you on some of Kubrick's movies. You know some of them are too much for me. Like too much in terms of pushing the lines or it is a bit of a slow burn. There is however there's a good example of a movie where you get a whoa kind of thing that happens right away and that's Doctor Strange Love. Like right away of off the favorites. bat. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite movies and right away off the bat the first scene is a shock scene. That's like a, oh, wow, kind of scene. That, that's a, hey, they're, they're calling a code red, and they are asking for the bombers to go and launch an attack on the Soviet Union. That's a, hello, wow moment. And then you're like, why is this guy called Jack Ripper? What's the deal there? Jack D. Ripper. What's the deal here? there There's something that's not right about all of this and and then it just starts to tumble along from there. Dr. Strangelove, I think, is one of the great dark comedies ever. Well, um, and
0: that's I think you could argue the only question mark comedy that Kubrick ever did, I think. He's got moments of comedy in most of his movies. I mean, it's Full Metal Jacket's got some legitimately funny scenes, but it's not a comedy. No. But, you know, uh, I, I, that might, might be the dark horse of all of his work. The one that I like, the Kubrick movie that I like the most is probably The Shining, and I think there's, there was a TV version of that, a TV movie that I like a lot better than the Jack Nicholson-Kubrick version.
1: Have you seen Paths of Glory?
0: Yes. Have you seen Spartacus? I've not seen Spartacus. You, I could believe it or
1: not. It is still one of those all-time classics that I need to get around to seeing. Paths of Glory is it's such a different Kubrick movie. Same with Spartacus. I mean, Spartacus is an epic, but Kubrick was kind of doing those under the thumb of others, and he he didn't necessarily like it. Like he sparred with Kirk Douglas a lot. Oh I, yeah, I, I believe when it came to Spartacus in particular. But um, but then he eventually worked on his own items and his own stuff and then and then that's where he started to get into some of the things that you talked about like paths of glory Spartacus, you might not necessarily know that those are Kubrick movies. Because they them.
0: because they're really not. No, because he we had to collaborate. He hadn't reached the level yet with success or vision that he was able to kind of do his own thing, write his own check, so to speak. And he had the clout to do it. Those are those are now those are Kubrick movies, but they're not Kubrick movies. You know, take a look at we'll talk Spielberg for example. Spielberg had a vision about everything he did. The even Jaws for example. Jaws is very very close to the source material, there's differences, of course, from the book versus the movie, but it's essentially the same thing. But he really gives it some touches, and he knows what he's doing, and so now that now that Spielberg can write his own check, he still delivers that stuff, and even the earliest movie, like the TV movie Duel, if you ever saw that, very Spielbergian, and not that different from what he's doing now, he had it down, and he can collaborate well with others. Kubrick early in his career had to collaborate. He was there as an employee more
1: than the force. But he didn't have the complete control that he wanted because he wanted a lot of control over his movies. True,
0: And then he got that. And then you get movies that are absolutely Kubrick movies where he wasn't taking orders. He was giving the orders and you could see that the direction that his, those stories would take the shining is a creepy movie. It is not what I would call scary. There are moments that kind of jump out as bizarre and yeah, you know, but the T V movie was more interested in a plot than the themes and it works better. Now the T V movie was Rebecca De Mornay and Tim Daly from Wings, I think is the guy. I think that's who it was. And it's a much, much better Stephen Weber, maybe that's who it was. Doesn't matter. It was a much better version of of The Shining. It was an hour longer, but there was so much more there than what Kubrick had done. A better plot movie, it sounds like. It was closer to the book, which is fine. I don't care if it's close to the source material or not. I just want to sit down and be entertained with a good story and a good narrative. And The Shining is a a two-and-a-half, three-hour movie that could have been done in 90 minutes. You know, the isolationism kicks in. Okay, that's good, you know. It's not that the movie was made poorly. It was just that it was made by Kubrick, and Kubrick, the way he does his stories, doesn't gel with me. I'm just not a big Kubrick fan.
1: You know what? I can understand that based on the movie. You know, it depends on the movie. There are some, like, I like Dr. Strangelove. I think 2001 is is a fascinating movie, but there are others. The Shining doesn't really roll with me all that well. And I'm not touching a clockwork orange. Definitely not touching that one.
0: That's an exceptionally violent movie. I'll give you an example. I, I like horror movies we said earlier. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the big ones. Toby Hooper directed it. It's a good movie right up until the last act. Then they capture the the, the final girl, and there's a scene at the dinner table where it goes on forever. Now we're going to show the people just how crazy these people are. Okay, we've got the point. Now move on. Next point. Nope, nope, nope. Still going to go. Going to drag this out forever. Now you're losing my interest, and it's, let's just finally move on. And finally, the last five minutes of the movie, the plot decides to move forward. She gets yeah. away. We're good. Kubrick movies are like that the whole way through. Nothing happens that's not painfully deliberate and drawn out over a long period. You watch 2001. It's a sci-fi epic classic, It's and it is not a bad movie. It's just the way that things are done that could be definitely trimmed down. If Topher Grace feels like editing up another movie, I would love to see <laughs> Topher Grace's 2001. Now, you watch that, and then you watch, came out in 1984, 2010 which is Roy Scheider and Helen Mirren, and it's a direct sequel to 2001. Now, these were all books, by the way. There's four books. I've read them all, uh, and 2010 is very different from the book, but it's a more direct sequel to the movie. You ever seen it? I've seen most of it. It's yep. it's a good story. It's interesting. It, it's, it's not taking forever to do what Kubrick would have done. And there's more explained. Yes. There's a a narrative. It's not necessarily leaving everything up to your imagination. Which Kubrick did. Which Kubrick did, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not bad that you might leave with questions, that it wasn't a question that was asked that was never answered. It was a question that was pondered to the audience What do you think happened? Okay, that's fair. I don't have a real problem with that. But if you like your exposition and you want a story with a beginning, middle, and end, 2010 will deliver with that. It's got a good, driven plot. I think it is a better movie just for that reason than 2001. And there's where our big controversy will come in.
1: Yeah, that is controversial. Very controversial. All right, for my final one... um... I, I thought about it a little bit. I, I guess I got down to two options. One is it, it's a movie that that's pretty funny, but there's there's one problem. It's a, gremlins. It's a bit it's a bit too crude for me. Gremlins, uh, <laughs> not Gremlins. Okay. Uh, it's I I just saw Caddyshack for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and you finally saw it. Yeah, and it's it's funny, but it's too crude for me. I was just like, ah, oh, this is. You know this is really humorous, but it's too crude. It, it's just too crude. So I didn't think I would get necessarily into that because there were things I liked about Caddyshack, but there were things that I really didn't like either. Um, just way too crude. What did you like the most? What did you like the least? I'm just curious. Uh, it it was unnecessary with some of the the nudity. Okay, that was that was unnecessary. And the the offbeat nature of it. Again, I I like that it was offbeat with some of the humor and some of the characters who were just so out there and i I like that the the plot was the scattershot plot confused me at first and then i was like you know what this is pretty funny that they went so scattershot with the plot so it was it was hit or miss in parts i won't get into that though because again i don't outright dislike the movie there are just parts of it i dislike i'm gonna get into the latter half of the fast and furious franchise okay I don't I don't like the latter half of the Fast and Furious franchise because they lost their identity. This used to be about cars. Like this used to be about racing and cars and there would be some heist and and job type of stuff that would come alongside of it. But it used to be about cars at the core and the people and, and that. It's a street of racing that. movie. Yeah, it was street racing movies. And now we've gotten into where we are going to have a spin-off that that is going to be all one big job among two-bit characters within the series. Like, is that what we've gotten to? Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw? What in the world has this series come to? Like... There, don't get me wrong, there are parts of Fast and Furious and Fast Five that are pretty cool. You know, they make some things work in those movies pretty well. Uh, like when, just the the whole time they're in Brazil, I mean, there there's some cool stuff that goes on there. Some of those set pieces that they do in those movies are pretty neat. But, seriously, when Dom and Letty were jumping across a stretch of highway, divided by a, a gap, and they're like and he's leaping and grabbing her in midair, and then they're flying and landing on something. I'm like, that's it. The shark's been jumped here on this series, and we're getting too much into the action and shoot 'em up portion of this series. Honestly, Decker Shaw should be locked away forever, and they should not want to touch this guy ever again because he killed one of their one of their main people. He killed him. You you see this in what in the later movies, and now they're bringing him back, and he's going to get his own movie.
0: You can't see him, but whose uh, hands are shaking?
1: Like, come on, ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, Jason Statham, he made a great villain. You're trying to make him a hero now after he killed one of the characters who was one of the originals, Han. Please. Hey, give Ivan a, Drago. Give me a break. Even, Ivan
0: Drago killed Apollo Creed in the ring, and he's made into be a sympathetic character in Creed
1: 2. You never know. He is. You get some nuance there, though. You get some understanding of w- of what happened there and and the training behind all of that. Like this this was downright. You know, here's the difference too that that's in the boxing ring. This is downright criminal what Deckard Shaw did. And now they're bringing this guy back in and they're going to say, okay, you're good. It, we're going to, we're going to turn you around here. Like it used to be about racing that used to have a prominent piece to it. And there was also, yeah, yeah. You'd then get some of the high stuff and some of the, the cops versus criminals nature to it. Of course, with where it all started with, with, with Brian O'Connor and, and Dom Toretto, like, that had some intrigue to it. I know some of those earlier movies, they, they were a little bit more about that than really about developing plot, but it was, it was cool that they had that element to it. Now they, they've doubled down on the action portion of it too much to where it's like, we don't need another shoot 'em up movie that, that just has cars in it. Why not have a cars movie that has some of those things that go on, on the side? Like I know that there are portions of it that are cheesy, but Tokyo Drift did a bit of that. You know, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, Two Two Furious, the original Fast and Furious, those movies worked because it was based around the cars and they made it kind of cool that way. And I know that these, these recent movies have somewhat gotten better in terms of stringing plot together than those, but I'd love to see the original idea around those first couple of movies get applied with some better filmmaking, some better directoral work, some better plot work to center it around that rather than the "Let's, let's make this as crazy ridiculous as we possibly can with some of these things. They've done some cool stunts. They've done some cool things and some cool ideas, but it's gotten too CGI focused and to where it's almost too unreasonable and it's not about the cars themselves anymore, which was what this was all based around to begin with.
0: You know, I I will speak somewhat ignorantly about this because I've only seen the first two, um, but I understand what's been going on with the more recent ones. Um, I saw the first Fast and Furious movie under protest. I could tell you going in. I have a gift. If I was a, one of the X Men, my superpower aren't lightning bolts. I can tell you whether a movie's going to be any good or not based on the trailer. With a ninety yep. percent, you know, with the ninety percent faulty rate, I'm pretty, Absolutely. I'm pretty good at it. I saw the trailer for that. I was like, "This is going to be a Nissan commercial with, with no plot," and that's exactly what it was. It was paper thin plot. They had charismatic actors between Vin Diesel and Paul Walker to just make them look cool, make the cars look cool. And then after that movie, I saw a Volvo with a spoiler on the back. So it just it got stupid. So it's what it was. Well, let's make more. By the second one, you could tell that the charm was already wearing thin. Tokyo Drift was a whole other thing. But then along comes a crew of other guys, and I would give a lot of credit to director Justin Lin, who also had a little input with Star Trek later with uh, Beyond, who did a good thing there. Um, they started to – and you alluded to it a few times, and I've talked about it even during this podcast. They started – what's that word? Oh, plot. They brought a plot into it. Where there's an actual story, yes, and it kind of took on more
1: of a uh, Italian job feel to it. Now, four and five worked really well in that regard. I should I, I should differentiate. Four and five worked really well with that. Six, seven, eight, and now the one that's coming in the near future. That's where it was like, okay, we've seen this. We've done this. Let's let's it's, get back to maybe the original idea. Now that plot is actually back in yeah, prominent.
0: If the whole prom, the, here's the whole thing. I think I think this is a non-deserving franchise, honestly, because it's all about. Well, basically, somebody sat down and said, "Let's make a really cool car movie." Well, what are we going to make a car movie about? I don't know the cars. Okay, but like, what are we going to do? No, we'll just show it. Make them look sexy. Make the characters look cool. Plot doesn't matter. You know, get some hot girls in there. That's kind of what Fast and Furious is. Then after a while, we want to make more of these. You can't only do this so much when there's nothing there to begin with. Right. Well, let's actually bring in a plot. Okay. So they started doing that, and I've not seen them, but from what I've heard – and even from what I've seen, seeing the, pl- seeing the trailers, my superpower tells me it's probably not a bad movie, probably not great, but definitely better than what's come before.
1: It is better than what's come before, and they've done good business. The problem is I- I'd like if they would get back to some of the elements from before, like the car-related elements, the racing-related elements, and put a plot to it. Because, yeah, those first couple of movies, the plots disjointed. It's a little bit cheesy in some portions. But then four and five got the formula right. And then they just kept doing that over and over and over again you rather need to than keep going. Up in
0: the ante with looks and visuals and CGI that doesn't ring true to actual physics. Right. It takes you right out of it. We've done a talk about that actually. Um rather than going yeah. back
1: to why not go back to some of what this franchise was built on. But give it some plot then, now that you've actually found the formula for that. But they didn't. They just they kept going with the Italian job action movie style and, oh, we're going to fit cars into it.
0: Here's what you don't want. Take a, take a fun franchise that everyone remembers fondly, like, say, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then you realize that it's actually not that great of a franchise. Maybe there's a good character in it. Maybe one, maybe two of those movies are actually pretty decent, but the rest of it is just fluff filler. So that's Nightmare on Elm Street. That, to me, is the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's not without value. I'm not trying to knock it. I'm just saying it's really thin. Sexy cars, yeah, great. I could show you any movie with sexy cars in it, You know, whether they're the forefront or the background. Back to the Future's got a sexy car. Case closed. But it's got a great story. It's got James a great Bond. plot. James Bond, sexy car, every single outing. You've got some charismatic guys like Vin Diesel who basically, besides that, doesn't really have that much of a character and don't even mention Groot
1: to me. You know, you wouldn't even know it was him unless he was in the credits. Vin Diesel is going around in the Fast and Furious movies sipping a Corona and saying family, family.
0: family. Yeah. That's that's his career. You know, and I'm not going to knock the guy. He's found his niche, but that's what he's got. You know, Paul Walker is a charismatic guy. Go watch uh see Pleasantville. He's got a small role in that, but he's not bad. You could see his whole character switch. Um, you know, it's unfortunate what happened with him, but, you know, talented guy. It, they're sexy Nissan car commercials is what they are that have gotten a little bit more of a plot element to it, and now they're going extra big, and now you've got guys like The Rock and Jason Stratham that are bigger than the plots themselves doing their own thing now. So I'm not knocking them. If you enjoy them, that's fine, but that's what the whole thing is. If you enjoy Napoleon Dynamite or Fast and the Furious, we're not saying don't enjoy them, enjoy what you like,
1: but I don't
0: get it. I'm with you on Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Any any of them.
1: Now the feud that's taken place within the cast oh, has blah, kind blah, of blah, That's kind of become entertaining. Blah, it's it's why it's blah. kind of been entertaining watching um Vin Diesel think that there's this this whole fraternity that exists there now, and then watching the rock, you know wanting to split off and do some other stuff. If William
0: Shatner watched his Enterprise go 80 years in the future with Patrick Stewart at the helm and it felt like he was a guest on his own show he understood that there's bigger things in play it's not the william shatner show it's
1: this universe of what you are a small cog in right. the machine and then in the middle between those two you've got a guy like tyrese who's just throwing fire each way and you're like oh boy this this is just crazy it's it's gotten it's gotten entertaining in a sad way
0: it's people like i said these are people and that show is their meal ticket and now the meal ticket is doing a show without them in it and so, what, where's my meal ticket? That's what the drama is about. Drama, it is not. It's about as interesting as the Kardashian show, skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. But it's about family. I don't care. Chainsaw Massacre was about family, and at that dinner table scene, I was out of the family.
1: <laughs> That's a pretty good note to leave on today. So, maybe you were thinking about it a little bit as we went today, movies that appeal to a wide audience, but you just haven't gotten into, or you don't like for some particular reason. Some of them may be pretty controversial. That's that's all right. You know, movie movie taste is is very eclectic for different people. Some movies just really jive with people, some some don't. Some really do not work. And it's it's interesting to hear the why. It's Sometimes it's fun to try to persuade your friends to be convinced otherwise. We were trying to persuade each other at times here today. Well,
0: think of going to the movies as going to an art gallery in a more pop culture-y
1: kind of way. I've been to art galleries. That's a great way to put it.
0: I've been to like the Walker Art Gallery. I've rarely seen a piece of art there that I like because it's much more modern art. I saw one that was – I won't even tell you what it was. It was just bizarre. I didn't see the appeal at all. And then I've gone to, like, traditional art museums, priceless pieces of art that they don't necessarily speak to me. It's a picture of an old lady sitting in a chair that, you know, well, but the technique was, okay, that's great technique. It doesn't speak to me, though. It just doesn't. That's how you
1: feel about the Mona Lisa?
0: No, not the Mona Lisa, although I do think that's an overhyped piece of art. But for what it was, I mean, it's the technique is fantastic, and you can't take away from what it is. I mean, da Vinci is a master. But... It's not speaking to me. It's a, it's a lady kind of staring at me with a kind of unusual face. Okay, next. I've seen better pieces of art that have moved me that also are technologically, or not technologically, but technique is really no different or similar, but it speaks to me. Okay, what's different versus basketball, baseball? I suppose different sports, but I like baseball, not basketball. How come? Is there anything wrong with that? No, it just doesn't speak to me. Right. It's very subjective. It's very what, what speaks to you. So whether it's art, whether it's sports, whether it's movies, some things grab you and others don't, and the person in the next seat feels the complete opposite. That's what part of what makes it so fun. And that's
1: part of what made this podcast episode so fun today. That's part of what made some of the movies we talked about in this movie podcast today suck. Rick and Egg Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport here in Bemidji. Don't forget about their $5 movie nights on Tuesdays, as well as the chance to uh, get some movie tickets there on our Big Deals online store. If you go online to paulbundingbroadcasting.com and click on Big Deals, you can find uh, some savings that you can get for complimentary tickets to go to the theater. Heads up, though, on those uh, passes.
0: Generally, they won't take them for brand-new releases. But once those movies are a few weeks out, then, yes, passes will be accepted. So they have them right there on the board. Pass is not accepted for this movie, and that's what they're talking about. Uh, keep that in mind, but if it's a couple weeks old, odds are pretty good. Your pass will work. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the negative
1: Dave Brooks. As long as you like the movie, we'll see you at the movies.